Hour number three brought to you by my friends at Inward Half. I've been telling you about Inward Half and how you can support the Volunteer Club by buying their everything polo. I've been telling you about how you can get yourself or the people in your life that you love the best golf apparel, the most comfortable golf apparel. Best looking golf apparel, too. Inwardhalf.com. You can check them out today or look for them in your favorite pro shop. Proud of the way Todd has helped grow that. Like I said, I saw him down at the PGA event and, and, and getting it in front of a bunch of different people. So you can support the movement at inwardhalf.com. Experience the comfort of their signature polos, outerwear, and other accessories cleverly designed to keep you in the swing of everyday life. Inwardhalf.com. Greg Polinski, Tennessee assistant coach, coming up at 920. Is there anything else we need to talk about with Tennessee when it comes to their battle with the NCAA, with Spire, with Nico? Because we're kind of in day two of this, and I feel like most of the things that need to be said have already been said. Is there anything anything we're missing? Okay, I think one thing, um, and I got this uh, text from a listener. It's my wife, who... uh, who asked a question, and I do appreciate it. Do you think that the NCA bringing up UT and NIL violations could be related to the fact that Nico played and had an amazing game, has so much potential with the coming year? Well, we all knew he was going to be very, very good, and I appreciate you listening, Sue. Um, and he's, you know, he was obviously heavily recruited, but we were just talking about this during the break. Uh, Sam, you brought it up, and and this does tie into Spire, you know, and the uh, the letter or the announcement that they put out. Uh, via their attorney, Tom Mars, day before yesterday, and there was a mention. It was kind of a, it was kind of a, a provision, if you will, talking about, you know, what he meant to the program in terms of their NIL endeavors, and also, but it was a tie to what his, his professional um, prospects. Was it, I mean, it, it, you, get, you guys all saw that. What's your take on that? Yeah, I was wondering, Sam, do you have the exact wording on that? Because it was something when I was reading, I was like, wait, so they have a stake in his NFL career? Is that is that the way it reads it, whenever you read it again? It feels like it. This is this is from the letter from Tom Mars. So it says, the parties have agreed to their contractual rights uh, and obligations would be governed by California law, which freely allows prospective college athletes to enter into such agreements. And AKA then, high schoolers can sign this and start getting money correct. whenever they're still in high school. Yes, and then now it says... Uh, the commercial the commercial reasonableness of the agreement between Spire and Nico was evidenced uh, by a resuscitation that Spire anticipated Nico would eventually be drafted by an NFL team. The agreement also specifically acknowledged uh, the restrictions per- prohibiting the use of any school or team's logo or insignia. Right, saying it wasn't Tennessee, it wasn't Tennessee related, it wasn't they so, weren't using that gear. Now, I, I do wonder if. Spire, maybe regrets. I mean, I guess they can't. You have to have the Vol name in it when you're doing the Vol Club. But, like, if they were just a company out of Knoxville named Spire, this might not be as big of a story as when you're like, oh, it's the Vol Club, you know, signing a player. But I guess you have to when it comes to, like, fundraising and, like, the fan base and stuff. Like, it, it needs to have a Tennessee connection. Like, I don't think that's unique. I think, you know, Alabama had what? Like, Hey Alabama or whatever it was called. Like, all, all Seminoles had something with, you know, Florida State had something with Seminole and there was when they're collective, I'm pretty sure. So it's not unique, but to it does me, it make feels it hard. Like the the loophole of like 
the old rules where you couldn't exactly bring a guy in under your university watch, but this is like the unaffiliated with the university, but not really with the university. But, but we'll now it is with, with the university because like, in the NCAA, it was like, yeah, actually, you can like be, you know, have the, the school can work with the collective and be a part of that mm-hmm. and, and have some type of relationship, which I think is a weird rule if they're trying to then say, like, you can't, you know, <coughs> recruit players or do this and this and this, and we're going to make up all these rules. Like, that. I don't know. I mean, like to answer answer your uh, your wife's question, I I don't think it's because he's playing now, but I do think like the conversation that's been around him and him like the number leaking from the get go of eight million dollars, and that's been the number that's always been kind of floated out with his recruitment. I do think that you know just kind of put him on the map, but maybe you know if he never played if he never saw the field, maybe it doesn't become a big issue, but I still think it you know, eventually would would have. So I'll say no to that. But the fact that he has been so good and such a highly sought-after recruit. With Jaden Rashada out of Florida, I think they drew the ire and they drew the attention of the NCAA because it got so messy and, like, they had that situation where Florida was going to not pay him and he's like, well, I'm leaving. And, like, they had a whole thing where he was having to wait and try to find what school he was going to go to. And they actually did kind of put his career in jeopardy as he scrambled and – Went to Arizona State, and according to the Athletic article, like got no money to go to Arizona State. They cost him a bunch of money. So I think that's kind of why they drew the ire of the NCAA. Yeah. Florida State, I'm not sure what you know went on there. I will say, I mean, I, this is not necessarily influencing the, the NCAA's pursuit or anything else, but to uh, the question that was asked, I think Nico having that great bowl game um, definitely puts him on – everybody's mind like from media fan base etc you know what i mean his name was sure. it became more it became a star absolutely absolutely so now when he this, went from high school prospect star to college football star exactly so when this when this topic came up when you think about it from that perspective and um my wife's question it actually yeah there there's definitely more awareness about the kid now so it becomes that much hotter a story, but I don't think it was the motivator. It was not the sole motivator for what was going on here, um, the fact that he played well. I think it, there was stuff that predates all of that. That's obviously what created this uh, inquiry by the NCAA. Yeah, it was probably fait accompli for, fait accompli for uh, the NCAA to you know have this eventually come up. So we'll work on the pronunciation. Yeah, next. I, I messed That'll it up. What was next. it? It's fait accompli. Fait accompli. I knew I blew that. Is it? Is it, is it Italian or what? It was it Latin. Latin? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you you were making it like feta, like feta cheese. Okay. Like, uh, uh, <laughs> one thing at a time. Uh, what about the what about the usage of it? What about the application of what? No, I it's good. It's good. Okay, we're getting there. It's a good start. Fait accompli. But yeah, no, he became a college football star, and you know, ironically enough. I do think that makes it harder for the incident to actually punish Tennessee because of this, though. Like, if he was a nobody and if he wasn't a star, maybe there's not as big of a fight from Tennessee. But the fact they're coming after your starting quarterback in a high-profile case, I think that means that Tennessee is going to do their damnedest to make sure that not only do they defend their public – not only do they defend their player and defend their program – but they do so publicly. If this was just about random wide receiver, I don't think you get the the strongly worded memo that leaks. I think if it's just a random player, Tennessee maybe still files a lawsuit and still fights. 
but I don't think they're going guns blazing and like, hey, we're going to make an example out of you NCAA. You're going to mess around and find out. Like, we're going to fight you in the court of public opinion as well. So ironically enough, like I think him being a star makes the fight tougher for the NCAA and makes Tennessee want to fight tougher against the NCAA. That's a good point. I think that's I, I agree with that. It's high profile, man. Like he is a star and he is the face of the program for better or worse for two years. And I don't think anybody even thinks there's a worse option there. Like when I say that, you know, better or worse, I think everyone expects great things from Nico. It's just whether or not you win a national championship or just you simply make the playoff. Like I think that's where Tennessee fans are over the next two years. Talking to who I talk to, being a fan myself, it feels like preordained destiny that you are going to make the playoff at least once in the next two years. With Nico as your quarterback. that That's kind of the reality I'm living in. And maybe that's me being too much of an optimist. Maybe that's me being a homer. Maybe it's wishful thinking, whatever you want to say. But like as far as I'm concerned, Tennessee is going to make at least one playoff of Nico here in the next two years. The question is just how many games you win in said playoff. That's what I'm trying to figure out, you know, how many games I think Tennessee wins. Can they get to the Final Four? Can they win a national championship? They'll be one of the top 12 teams. Because that's what that that's the level of quarterback play you're going to have, and that's going to elevate your entire program. So that's why Tennessee's going to fight tooth and nail to defend him, but also make him feel comfortable. Not just keep his eligibility, but to like show his family, hey, we got your back. To show the player, hey, we got your back. Because when you think about the California state law, yeah, that helps Tennessee. But you also think about California. Like, I'm sure in recruiting, and, you know, the the, the Iamaliava family loved Joey Hazel. Hazel. Hasley. Hasley. I, I, I nailed the Iamaliava <laughs> and then blew the Tennessee coordinator. But thank you, Sam. Joey Hasley. I get that one, too. That's tough. Yeah. But it's worse when I look at it, when yeah. I'm actually trying to read it. I wasn't even reading it there. I was just... I actually think it might be Halsley. So you don't know either? No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, thank you for the correction that you don't even know. <laughs> thank you. Well, I wanted to get it right, at least. But with Joey, <laughs> I've transitioned. I, I can get Nico's last name, and I'm going to stick with Joey for our coordinator. Like, I'm sure, like, whenever he's connecting with Nico and he's connecting with his family, a lot of it's like, hey, we're going to protect you. Like, you're going to do the whole, like, hey, I'm going to look after your son. I'm going to... You know, maybe don't go in there and say you're going to be a father figure or whatever. But, like, hey, I got his back. We're going to help mold him as a young man, but we're also going to protect him. Because you're sending us your son across the country. And that's not only protecting him and making sure he doesn't get in trouble in Tennessee and making sure he has the, you know, the access to good facilities and, and whatever else he may need to be a student and an athlete. But it's also like we're going to protect you in the court of public opinion. We're going to protect your reputation as a family. We're going to protect all these things for you. And I think that raises the stakes drastically. And I think when you look at it like that, you see Donda's quote from yesterday, Bob, that you talked about her protecting her kids and protecting her family. Like, I don't know if she meant it that way, but I don't think it's far off because, like, as yeah. administration, as coaches, you kind of look at those players and those kids as family and children. At least that's what the that's what we, like, romanticize about college football, right, is that, like, you are – Choosing to go to a school because of uh, of your relationship and you want to be a part of the community. It's not just money. And let's face it, like you can say Nico has an $8 million contract, and yeah, that's what the reports are. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's not. Maybe it's like basically, like Sam pointed out, maybe it's more just a, we're paying you up front. We're going to get some of this money back whenever you go and you're a top five draft pick. 
But, like, the point is, whenever you have a player his caliber that was a number one prospect, a top ten prospect on every site, he could have made money anywhere. Right? You still had to go out and recruit his family. You still had to do all these things and, like, you still have to protect him and, and bring him into the family and do all these things. He could have made money anywhere. It's not just a, a financial transaction. And for like the, the NCAA and for some of the haters online, the writers, to act like it was simply a financial transaction, I think is just completely wrong. And I think that's why you see Donda fighting so hard for it. And that's part of the reason it fires me up. Speaking of quarterbacks, our... Uh... Former quarterback, Joe Milton, mm. show, showing mm. out at the Senior Bowl. I just got so fired up thinking about Tennessee and Donda and Nico, <laughs> and then you just threw that in my lap. Well, we got tight tight time window here. I thought this might deserve a couple minutes. Um, <laughs> Let me guess. He threw the ball far and strong. Yeah. As a matter of fact. He impressed scouts with his athleticism. Yes, Rick Spielman, <laughs> Vikings GM, said, I think he was underrated as an athlete. There's no question about the size. And I think the arm talent, he probably has the strongest arm at the Senior Bowl. I don't know about his touch and timing at times. <laughs> and even when I watched him live, there's just some hesitation on the seat to do on the coverages he's trying to read. Boy, don't we know it. Um, it's like that's – it's like, ah. Well, the, the timing thing is to me the biggest thing. And I, yeah. I, I think it's completely related to his arm strength. It's like in high school and at the early level, like you probably are able to make those throws a half second late because you can zip it in 70 miles an hour. But in the SEC at the high level and in the NFL, of course, like those athletes are really good too. And you can't be half a second late because that's picked. That's incomplete. That's knocked down. That's your receiver getting knocked out. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do think Rick Spillman's analysis there is correct. I think he's underselling him by saying he might have the strongest arm at the Senior Bowl. He definitely has the strongest <laughs> arm at the Senior Bowl. He might have one of the strongest arms in the entire world. Like it, he, He's a top three or four passer in terms of arm strength, I would say. Yeah. And then uh, there was a, a post by Taylor Kyles, who apparently covers the Patriots. And he's got a clip here of Joe. And he wrote, solid showing from Joe Milton and Team Drills. Kept the offense on schedule. Showed his mobility and made one of the throws of the day, fitting a slant into heavy traffic. He was, can't throw those slants into traffic. He does. Problem is, he likes throwing into traffic. <laughs> was was also impressed whenever he was shown listening to coaches or speaking to teammates. And it's like, you know, that stuff's all great. It was. We, we saw that too. But I don't know. I think you add all this up and you get six round pick. Yeah. Like, I think that's essentially what's going to happen. He's going to get picked. You, I you, agree. You'll, you'll have someone take a chance on him because of the arm strength. And I do think the the locker room dynamic's important too and, you know, the, the good teammate stuff. I think he'll get good remarks there from, from coaches here. And I, I think he's an NFL guy in that regard. It's the very thing I said that, you know, we in, you know we went through a long season, wish him the best. Um, but there's going to be some NFL scout, particularly once we get to combine time. At the combine, somebody's going to get enamored with all the measurables and – uh, the fact that he is a physical freak, he really is. We get all that. And so he's going to end up getting drafted. But, yeah, it's. I think you're right, John. Probably just, uh, you know, he's a roster guy, but I can't imagine we'll talk some. More. We'll talk some Tennessee basketball coming up next with Tennessee assistant coach Greg Polinski. Stick with us. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio.
Welcome back to the morning show. You got Bob Baskerville here with John Reed. Um, excited to go into our weekly segment with Tennessee assistant basketball coach Greg Polinski. We have a, obviously a big game coming up on Saturday, and uh, we appreciate the coach giving us some time. How you doing, coach? Good morning, guys. Morning. Hey, before we get into Kentucky, uh, talk about that a little bit. Um, just wanted to do uh, kind of a top line wellness check, if you will. I mean, we all were, you know, we've we're looking at South Carolina in the rearview mirror. Uh, that was a, that was a tough night, but um, you know, just would love to get your top line take on how how the how the boys are feeling heading into a very big game at Rupp. Um, is it the same thing with them too? It's it's more about you know we've heard the stories about. Uh, the players, we saw video of Dalton and heard about Josiah and Jemai getting out on the court after the game um, just to work on free throws and shots. And, you know, that, that tells us a lot. But just uh, love to hear your take on how, how everybody's feeling right now moving forward. Yeah. So, um, not to cut you off, but I think I know where you're going. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we're all disappointed. Um, first of all, you know, it sounds like coaches talk. Uh, Coach Barnes said it, but. Give South Carolina credit. They're no myth. They are a totally redone team. Some of the same players, but a whole new chemistry, attitude. Coach Paris has done an awesome job. I mean, they came in there at, what, 17-3, and um, had won some road games. Uh, With all that being said, you know, we didn't – come with our A game. Sometimes you really can't explain it. I don't have a great explanation. Really disappointed for our team. Our fans were, of course, awesome as usual. Um, but you can't, and Coach talked about it on his post game. but you can't miss rim shots. You can't go to the free throw line and make 12 out of 20. Something we've done well most of the year. Vandy, we struggled a little, but still came away with the win. And close games where a team is going to grind it down, hold the ball, slow it down, which isn't how we want to play, um, then you've got to make your opportunities. And both of those are great opportunities. I mean, you know, I think anybody who was there witnessed that, right? It was very frustrating. Um, that is it level of concentration? I'm not sure I'd answer it, but. Uh, just sitting there, it seemed a little surreal, like, wow, we got a good shot. And um, free throw line. Uh, defensively, we were good enough. I mean, they shot 33.9% from the floor. But, again, give them credit. They hit 10 threes, and they were timely. Um, so one of those nights, and I think what you got to do is look at it, forget it quickly, because there is no time, as we all know, going to rub. To feel sorry for yourself, especially after them coming off a home loss. They will be fired up, and they are a tremendously talented team. As a coach, how do you manage when your team is struggling from the free throw line? Because, you know, it's something that, that seems like it would be a mental block. So are you belaboring the points and, you know, risking maybe getting into the player's head a little bit more? Is it all repetition? As a coach, how do you manage that? I don't. You know, I, I think I've seen it done so many different ways. 
you know, we're going to take more free throws. Everybody, you know, hey, we're going to take them intermittently during practice, after every drill, or after every segment. We're going to do our, you know, we do our daily vitamins. For us, it's like our daily vitamins. Okay, hey, we're going to 100 free throws, or it could be some guy shooting more. Got to make 20 in a row before you leave. Um, not punishment, just to build confidence again. Uh, but really, we've been a really good free throw shooting team all year. So do we take this two-game sample and panic? I say no. If it becomes a trend, then we got to look at what we're doing a little bit more. Maybe you know, look at guys' routines. Like I said, come up with different ways to shoot them during practice, during our you know player development time. Uh, but right now, I think we move on. We get to the next game. Uh, we're pretty confident in this group, and I think this group is pretty confident in itself. How do you handle the juxtaposition of going from an opponent like South Carolina that wants to drag you in the mud, go really, really slow, pay, you know, play with the pace in the 350 range where you're, you're limiting possessions and they're going to really try to grind you out defensively, to now going somewhere like Kentucky where they want to go fast and, quite frankly, don't put as much of an emphasis on their defense, to put it lightly. How do you handle that from a game plan standpoint? Yeah, well, I think we, we've got a group that can play at different speeds. You know, um, you know the, the, the jest, if there is any, you know, kind of a tongue-in-cheek to this, was last year's team would have loved slopping through this. Yeah. Um, right? That, that would have been right up our alley last year. You want to go for, 30, you know, 28 seconds? Great. Because we probably will. Well, this year's team coming into this game was the leading team in the SEC and effective field goal percentage, two-point field goal percentage, our pace was right there. Um, we've played faster. I think it's been enjoyable, not just for us and for the players, but for the fans. So I think we'll, we'll you know, recalibrate quickly. I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think for us, the issue is Kentucky is either the leading, team, leading scoring team in the country or right there. And we're going to have to do a great job ourselves in now, like you said, hey, we got we got to get back in transition. We something we work on every day. Get the ball stopped, you know. Build walls, attach shooters, because they're a very good three-point shooting team. Got to remember they played without two key guys last night: um, Dewan Wagner and Justin Edwards. Great win for Florida, but we're going to see Kentucky's best. You guys know that. The fans know it, and and we certainly hope that we're going to bring our best because that's what it's going to take to get a W up there. No, I do agree with what you said fully. Like. From a fan perspective, I understand when it's frustrating to lose those games and you don't want to hear like, hey, you had good shots and sometimes in basketball the shots just don't go down. But you talked about the mud. Like, fans can remember last year's game against Auburn. That that was a dreadful, tough game, low scoring. Brutal. And you, and you wondered, like, can this team even get a good look? Can this team play offense? You don't have the feeling this year with this team. This team got a bunch of good looks. They just missed shots, missed free throws, missed shots they've hit all year. So I, I do think... It might come across as excuse-making for fans that hear that, but I do fully believe it's just basketball. Sometimes you miss shots. Hey, Coach, looking ahead to Kentucky now, um, you know, when, when, when we look at their lineup, and you, you touched on it, they had two key players out last night, but it's still, uh, you think of the stars, quote-unquote stars of the team, of a very talented team. You have 
obviously Reeves and Shepard and Dillingham, all guards, and you know Trey Mitchell, obviously is a force. Uh, this one guy that popped off the page for me, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts because I know you're you're already studying these guys is uh, Ugo Agnenso who played last night, started 34 minutes, 13 points, 16 boards, 8 blocks. Um, and it looks like he's, just in the last couple of games, from last night and then the Arkansas game, his his minutes seem to be increasing. Um, that, that becomes, it appears, it, this is a team that seems very long to me, even though we talk about the guards between Bradshaw and, you know, we haven't seen much from, Avisic since that first game, but you know, and then now you've got Ugo and and Trey Mitchell. Uh, this is, I think, an interesting team to prepare for. I'm just curious um, how you think about it from that standpoint, because you, again, you think about high scoring guards, et cetera, but they obviously had a guy who was a big rim protector last night. Yeah, that's a gigantic piece. We all know that um, having Jonas here, uh, Jonas to do is does that for us. I don't know if he gets as many blocks. Um, but he changes shots. He changes your mentality as an offensive player to rim, and it's something that Hugo does. I mean, we saw him in high school. He's really developed. Give Kentucky credit. Um, he was raw, and he's getting better and better. Um, I only caught – I was on the road recruiting. I only caught bits and pieces of it um, on the radio. But it sounds like, you know, a fly swatter <laughs> that when they went in – so they drug him out away from the rim. Uh, he, he did a great job. Having that is a gigantic piece for your defense, you know, because it gives you the opportunity to pressure the ball more, extend, take more chances when you have that kind of guy standing back there. So we'll have to think, and Coach will um, come up with a game plan. We're not going to keep him from blocking some shots. We still want to stay aggressive. But certainly it is something that you have to prepare for. Um, guy that goes and blocks eight and grabs that number of rebounds and is a factor at the rim on lobs and putbacks and uh, it adds a gigantic piece to what you said is a very talented group of guards. It's kind of an understanding that usually in college basketball, not on not on Tuesday night where Tennessee couldn't really buy a foul call at times, that the officiating is going to favor the home team or at least be called differently from game to game, from place to place. As a coach, do you guys approach anything differently going on the road when it comes to physicality from someone like Jonas Adu and like, hey, you might get officiated a little bit differently on the road because the crowd's going to be involved, or is it just business as usual? Yeah, I think the the one thing at every level that I've learned um, that we understand, I think as a team, we're going to play to the way the game is called that evening or that day, if that makes sense, because officials are human. Um, some get the um, intensity of a rivalry, that game. How do I manage that game? Is there advantage, disadvantage? I always thought last year in our NCAA tournament game um, with Duke that some of the calls in that game in our league are just business as usual. You know, when you're dealing with guys like Tolu Smith and Shebway last year, you know, what we considered a blockout, you know, the referee called a foul because Tolu Smith, Shebway, those are just two I'm thinking of. They come at you with force. So it's just two bodies when we had 
Uros and Olivier, man, that was a, a man-on-man collision. Um, and so our league, I, I think the officiating is really good as a whole. I really do. Other times we're frustrated, of course. Uh, I'm sure the other team is too. But we will adjust, or we better adjust, to how the game is called at any venue we go to because it's all different. It really is. And, and that isn't a bad thing. That is just the referees. Like we talk about prepping for a game, the, refer- the referees talk about it. I- I've, when I was scouting, I got to know some of those guys, and sometimes before the game I go in and say hello to them. They're talking about the game. They're talking about what they got to control, what they got to manage. Don't think they don't. About different players. I mean, they do their homework. And so, however that game's called, we got to adjust to it and, um, and go out there and, and, you know, excel. That's the best I can say. With that being said, what went through your mind when Tennessee was called for three fouls in two seconds in the second half on Tuesday? Well, you know what? I'm, I'm not sitting on the fence here, guys. <clears throat> I, my seat, literally, though, on the bench, it was right in front of Coach was standing up, our coaches, and there were players. I couldn't get a clear view. I'll throw it back to you guys. It seemed like it was quick, right? There were, was it three quick calls yeah, at that end of the court? And what's been frustrating, you know, watching these games is that the first half I thought was free-flowing. I thought the fouls were yeah. at a very small number. And then to start the second half, it's like they're like, okay, time to call fouls and call the game completely differently because even on TV, you know, Bradshaw was talking about in the first half, that wasn't a foul. They've been letting a lot of that contact go. And from a viewing standpoint, that's the most frustrating thing about college basketball is that the it could change from minute to minute, half to half. And and that felt like that's what happened in that situation. Coach, I, yeah, I, would, I, I would say that – sorry to interrupt, but I, I would say that I was at the game and I, I literally missed – at least one of those calls, just reaching down to get my bottle of water. I mean, that's how like just rapid fire it was. It was it was very it was very weird. Yeah, it was it was different, but I don't know if they were legitimate or not. Um, I'll be honest, I haven't watched our game yet, and I usually watch it as soon as I get home. But I had an early drive the next morning. Um, sometimes after a game like that, I want to wait, let the emotion get out, and then watch. It was our day off and. That's the day a lot of us will go recruiting. Um, so I didn't see it. Um, you know, we try not to make too much out of it uh, because if you pay too much attention, I think sometimes to calls, either way, in your favor, against you, or whatever you view, I think we just kind of go on and play. We talk about that in practice a lot. Guys that say, man, that was a foul. Don't even say that. That's what we talk. Don't say it. Because in the game, you don't know what a foul is and a foul isn't. Depends on that night. I, I think what you guys are saying, though, is, and I didn't hear Dane, but if there, if there's a certain call that was a call in that half, why isn't a call in this half or vice versa? But truly, I didn't see it. I didn't watch it. I just heard three quick whistles. So I'm relying on you guys to tell me what you saw. And uh, the 20,000-plus that were there, they didn't seem very happy. So, hey, like you guys said earlier, you know, let's rehash this, and now we move on to Kentucky. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's a big weekend uh, as we uh, wrap up going out the door here. Yeah, the the one thing I would say is we we touched on this in our first interview with you last week. Uh, we're seeing it again. It's almost like we're feeling a, a March vibe in the regular season with teams that are going down. Yeah. You know, same night we had North Carolina go down at Georgia Tech. Um, you know, yet last night uh, Purdue and Northwestern go overtime. Kentucky obviously loses. I guess this is just the new normal now in college basketball, right? I think so. I, I don't think there's a dominant team. I think you guys have been around long enough to know there's certain years when you say, man, these two or three teams, they're head and shoulders above. I can remember that, again, when I wasn't um, in college basketball and, you know, out scouting, seeing teams, I thought, wow, these two or three teams are so much better than the rest of the teams I've seen. I can't say that this year. And we've seen Purdue, and we've seen Kansas, and um, Marquette was very good when we saw them early. It was yes. a scout I had. I thought they were terrific. Um, UConn really – I don't think that we fear anybody. We think on a given night we're good enough, but we also know, as, as Coach made clear to the guys, we're not good enough just to show up and put on that Vols uniform and uh, go out and, and defeat people. We've earned the respect of everybody, and we always say congratulations. Now what are we going to do about it? You know, you got a top-five ranking – that's wonderful. Great for our fans, great for our team, great for recruiting. But now what are you going to do to defend your yard? And we didn't do that the other night. We didn't do it. And you got to understand, you're going to get other teams' best shots. And there's programs that have been going through that for years. And we talked about that. Admiration should be given to those programs. We have now put ourselves in that echelon. we got to understand what's going to come every night. You guys, I don't know if you guys went to the North Carolina game. When we played there, man, you'd have thought they were playing Duke, who they're getting ready to play this weekend. It was loud. They were there early. It was a whiteout for the University of Tennessee. So we should be proud of who we are, but then we better take care of business with it too. That's right. Best of luck this weekend. Thank you for the time and insight, Tennessee assistant coach Greg Polinski. We'll talk to Thank you, you next coach. week. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Good luck this weekend. Thank you. Really think that's uh, my new favorite segment of the week. I like talking ball. He's great. Yeah, I like talking ball. I like talking ball with Shumpert on Monday. I like talking ball with Will Warren. But I do think having an actual like voice inside that locker room making decisions and 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 having you know obviously behind the scenes info. I think that's my favorite segment of the week. And I love it. You know, I'm not surprised. But boy, you know, they're owning it. They're owning what happened Tuesday night, and it's like it's he's right. It's like so. What do you do moving forward? That's really what it's about, and the way college basketball is now. Still, you know, kind of filling him out and getting you know his vibe, and you know, I, I do think that maybe if it was a month later and we had done maybe four or five hits with him, I would have pushed a little harder. And be like, I, I didn't ask if you saw the fouls, coach. I asked what went through your mind when they called the three fouls. You didn't have to see them to be like, whoa, hold on, three fouls in two seconds. Yeah. Yeah, but he didn't shy away from it. He just said, "I didn't see it." What'd you think? Yeah, that's good. Segment. Maybe I should have followed up and said, "Well, what, what did Rick say? What did Rick think?" <laughs> but yeah, uh, good job by you uh, for setting that up weekly. I enjoy it. I hope the audience enjoys it. Yeah, he's great. I, I'm glad we got him. I got a one bone to pick though, Sam. 
you forgot to ask your question. Oh, yeah. You had a question. He had a question on Monday yeah. when, or Tuesday. He wanted to know. I forgot about that. Who wins in one on one between Connect and Mayshack? He had, had They'll continue you know, to they, play they next week. About, <laughs> it, maybe not, maybe that's not the time to ask. You know, yeah. after a loss. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get maybe. a big win on Saturday, and then I'll ask him. Okay. Next Thursday. Yeah. By the time he comes around, we'll have played LSU too. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you're on a two-game win streak. <clears throat> yeah. 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 I did forget that though. Yeah, completely forgot. I'm, and I'll be honest, I I'm forgot very too curious until I just looked about at it. you. I totally forgot. Yeah. That's how Sam is with me. I don't really. What's your name again? <laughs> but I'll also note that I did care less about that story after he lost to South Carolina. The the vibes for me got knocked down a little bit. I'm still I'm still on board with the boys. I'm still on board with the boys, but like. Ha, 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 who wins in one-on-one? I don't care right now. It's like, hey, can we get Mayshack on the mm-hmm. floor more? And can Connect go out and uh, lead us to victory? When Dalton Connect scores 40 and Rupp and then Jemai Mayshack locks down Antonio Reeves, then it'll be a lot easier to, to ask that question. Exactly. You'll be sad because <laughs> your boy will, will have struggled. I would say I'll, I, I'll push back now that he's off the air because I don't want to argue with him about it. But like I, I will say that I do think the free throw shooting – has been an issue all year. I don't think it's just a two-game sample. I, I do think the free throw shooting has dipped, and I, I will say that like it's it's hard to explain. Connect, he's right in step with his averages. I don't know, you know, if he just doesn't put enough time in, or if it, if his shot is conducive to being a little bit deeper on the court. I don't know, but like last year at Northern Colorado, he shot seventy-seven percent from free throws. Year before that, 75%. This year, 78%. He's actually better this year than he has been in his past. That's kind of in lockstep. But you'll get someone like Jonas. And maybe you could say with Adu, it's like, hey, he's getting to the free throw line more. But he went from a 75% free throw shooter last year, 82% the year before, to 63%. You look at Zaka. 84-83 the two years prior. This year, down to 71%. Josiah. Last year, 86%. The year before, 80%. This year, 73%. So there's a 13%, 12% decrease there from last year to this year. So, like, there is something going on with the free throws. And it's it's not just a two-game sample. The guys are struggling. Like I said, those are all those are three guys that are 10% worse this year than they were last year. Is it a confidence thing that, like, hey, you know, they're all their roles have gotten reduced? I don't know because I just told you Adu had that too and – Adu's role is increased and bigger than ever. Santi, who has had his role decrease, he's shooting better from the free throw line. It hasn't affected him. So I don't know. I pushed back and saying it wasn't a hasn't been an issue all year because I do think it, it has been something that I've noticed all year. And I got, I'm worried about Tennessee from the free throw line when it comes to you know tournament time and crunch time. Anything else, Bob? You want to add about Tennessee basketball? No, I don't think so. Uh, no, I think. Uh... Yeah, we've stated the obvious. We have a big one on uh, on Saturday, man. More bigger than ever now, in a way. You know, just if we're gonna try to fulfill the ambitions of a SEC conference title, that fifteen and three number. We'll talk with Will Warren about that tomorrow. If that's maybe shifted at all, but I hope so. I hope so too. He did shift and say fifteen and three was just outright. So like fourteen might get you a split. Then we'll take splits. We we can add a number to the banner with the splits. Splits are okay. Yeah. Splits are okay. Sam sent us to break. We'll wrap this bad boy up. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio.
All right, Sam, anything you think we've missed so far today? Uh, I feel like we've had a pretty solid show so far today in terms of what we've what we've reached on. I'm surprised at the lack of NBA that Bob and I have talked to as people that both love the NBA. We haven't really had time to fit that in. I will say we had a couple of returns last night. Yeah, I'm so over Dame Lillard, man. He, I think he's my least favorite player. That was on my uh, on my news in sports, actually. Lillard's he, return to Portland. He has returned to Portland, but not only did he have his return to Portland, he had talked about how he, he sees like a future with them. Like, his story's not done in Portland. Like He's going to go back home. I loved him in the bubble. Yeah, uh, I, I really did. He was in it. He and McCollum were so entertaining. I mean, I, I really Portland was my, maybe my second favorite team in the bubble besides Indiana, and Portland went on deeper into the tournament or the playoffs. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. It doesn't feel the same with him in, in my eyes now. I don't know what's up. Well, he still wants to be the good guy. He still wants to be loved, and like it's fine. You're in Portland. You're feeling things. Go wave. I don't think anybody blames him for asking out when he asked out. I mean, I think Portland themselves were like, yeah, we're kind of ready to switch gears. Like, we're tired of of winning 40 games and not having a draft pick and not winning anything in the playoffs. And, like, that's kind of what they were with Dame. So, I think they were fine with hitting reset and trying to get some assets and young players. But, like, Dame was like, no, I don't want to be traded. Well, I do want to be traded, but only to Miami. Well, I don't want to. I don't want out. They want me out. It's over. You're in Milwaukee. Is it where you wanted to go? No. You wanted to be in Miami. That's fine. You went ahead and you got your coach fired along with Giannis, and you got Doc Rivers now. But whatever. You're on a championship contending team. You're playing with your best teammate you've ever had in Giannis. No dispute there. It's the best teammate you've ever had, Giannis. Antetokounmpo. You have a chance to win a championship if you do your part. Just let it go. Come back to Portland. Say you love the years. You love it. When you retire, you're going to move to Portland. You want to be in front of the – I don't know. Whatever you want to say. But it would be like, you know what? I see a day where I, I see myself in a Trailblazer uniform after uh, before before I'm done. Shut the hell up. Once once Portland's good again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what? I'm going to pull LeBron. And you know, if yeah. you get me the number one pick and we got some trade assets and you get me a Kyrie Irving, yeah, I'll come back. And maybe that works. But the difference is by the time that happens for, for Dame, he's going to be like 38-39. So you're not LeBron. I don't know. I, I just really don't like Dame Lillard anymore. But like you said, in the bubble, I did like him. You were rooting for him. Yeah. Uh, and then you mentioned two returns. I know you're thinking of Durant. I, does Durant warrant a return to Brooklyn? I mean, I I, I thought it was weird. To honestly. his credit, he said no. To his credit, yeah. he's like, don't play a video. <laughs> yeah. Don't give me any type of welcoming. It's basically like, don't roll the red carpet out for me. I wasn't there long enough. We didn't accomplish anything. I mean, for a place like Brooklyn – Bob, can you can you name the best Nets players of recent memory? No. Are they gonna roll the red carpet out for D'Angelo Russell or Spencer Dinwiddie? Like, I mean, like, I Dean guess Dinwiddie's back there now. But <laughs> Joe Harris, Joe Harris. I mean, like, I mean, Darren Williams, yeah. Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett. They're gonna roll the red carpet out for those guys. I mean, they don't really have any stars. So, I mean, like, for them to be like, does Kevin Durant deserve a warm welcome or a a tribute? Like, he's by far the best player they've had. The last, I mean, since Jason Kidd. Yeah. So, like, I guess if you're Brooklyn and you're you're actually, you know, one of the most insignificant franchises in the NBA, like, you kind of hold on to what you have. As a Nets fan, it would kill me. I know there's not many Nets fans, but as a Nets fan, it would kill me thinking. I, I would go to my grave thinking about that game seven of the Eastern Conference semifinals against the Bucks. 
where Durant hit the game, what should have been the game winner, but his foot was barely on the line. Yes, I remember that. Barely on the line, they end up losing in overtime. I would go to my grave thinking about that because at least you would have made a conference finals. You would have played the Hawks. I know most people in the NBA would say you would have beaten the Hawks. I think the Hawks would have beaten the Nets that year, but so close to winning a championship. So close. If 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 Kyrie and Harden don't get hurt that series, they beat Brooklyn. They beat Milwaukee down the first two games. Beat them like forty points both games. If you don't have that injury to those guys, you probably do win a championship. Maybe Durant's still in Brooklyn, but instead they got hurt. He had his toe just barely on the line, and then everybody broke up. Kyrie left, Harden left, Durant left. No one loves you now. Your stars McCall Bridges. Ah, don't forget Ben Simmons. Which, I, Ben Simmons, I don't know if, we, if you saw when he came back, he, he, I don't know if he's leaning into the meme, but, like, he came out, he had almost a triple-double, but he, he basically, he, he said, he told the NBA that he is a one-man fast break. He's like, when I'm on the floor, it's always a fast break. And then they asked him about, like, what he said when he got on the court to his teammates. He's basically like, it's time to bleep and go. This is what I do. Or like basically like leaning into like I'm a star again. Like <laughs> instead of like Owie, I'm scared to shoot free throws. I'm scared to shoot. Like Ben Simmons is leaning into just being a meme, I guess. So yeah, that was those are the NBA stories I saw that I kind of wanted to talk about that we hadn't gotten to. Other than Draymond Green crying about Embiid getting hurt because of the NBA's unfair 65 game rule. I feel like that's Draymond trying to do. A- I'm, I'm, hey man, I'm, a, I'm an every man in this league. I, you know, I'm committed. I'm, I'm a, t- I'm a leader in the league. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I agree with you, Sam. I think we had a pretty good show today. Um, heard from Butler, uh, from Rocky Top Insider. Always good insight from Rick. It's always good to have him on. We talked about Coach Polinski from the last segment. He was, he's great. I think that's gonna even, like you said, John. I think it'll get better. It's good already, but it'll even get better as we get to know each other a little more. Well, I mean, I thought the strides from week one to week two, I feel like he already felt more comfortable and willing to talk and I agree. play back and not just answer questions, but ask us questions and communicate. So, yeah. yeah, I'm really looking forward to that as the season progresses until we get that call on Thursday before the tournament. Hey, can't do it this week. I know, right? I've retired. i got to be focused. Can't do it. It's postseason time. And I'll well, be like, Coach, this is what we need to the most. We'll think positively. That's the why we got an interview in Arizona, though. Ooh, Ooh. how about that? <laughs> we got to win him over. We got to four a.m. or five a.m. <laughs> yeah. I guess whatever time it comes we, on. We got to make sure he's wanting to come on every Thursday. So, uh, big show tomorrow because again, uh, we're going to be full focus on Kentucky. Of course, we'll be paying attention to any other developments with the uh, our friends at the NCAA, but. Uh, Got some guests tomorrow. Will Warren is going to come in to help us preview the Kentucky game. Brandon Ramsey from Kentucky Sports Radio felt it would be good to get a uh, Kentucky point of view. And I told him, I said, hey, it's, you know, it's a it's a rivalry, but we'll be nice. We'll be sweet, as you said, uh, John. You uh, so Brandon's coming on. And then uh, Eli Hershkovich, our weekly uh, betting uh, devotee who uh, – we hope we'll have some good insight because, again, it's a hell of a weekend. There's no football, obviously, but uh, college basketball, there are some tremendous games to pay attention to. So looking forward to that. So a big show tomorrow. Have a good Thursday. Jake Miller, Brett Holander, Marcus Young coming up next. We'll see what the boys got for you on the G.I. Jake show. And then we got some Colin Cowherd, the drive, overtime. Stay locked in on Fan Run Radio.